0: Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, guest podcast editor for Pediatrics. Dr. Parker is Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York. She also is a Professor of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University Medical Center. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care Podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email info at sccm.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast, recorded October twentieth, two 2008. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM. Today we will discuss an editorial published in the November 2008 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, The Problem of Acute Hyponatremia in Hospitalized Children, The Solution is in the Solution. Joining us today is the author of the editorial, Dr. Desmond Bone, MCBCH, the Chief of the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada. The editorial is in response to an article by P. Alvarez-Montaniana et al., entitled, The Use of Isotonic Fluid as Maintenance Therapy Prevents Iatrogenic Hyponatremia in Pediatrics, a Randomized, Controlled, Open Study. Both the article and the editorial are in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, 2008, Volume 9, Number 6. Good morning, Dr. Bone. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. Dr. Bone, would you please start by reviewing for us the study by Dr. Montagnana and his colleagues in Valencia, Spain. What did they do and what were their major findings?
2: So this was a prospective randomized controlled trial <coughs> comparing isotonic saline versus hypotonic saline in patients admitted to their pediatric intensive care units. And this is what this, uh, these fluids were being used as part of what's known as maintenance therapy. Um, their primary hypothesis was that the use of isotonic saline versus hypertonic saline would result in a lower incidence of uh, hospital-acquired hyponatremia, without any potential increase in complications such as the development of hypernatremia in patients who were receiving isotonic saline. <clears throat> it was designed as a 24-hour infusion study with uh, analysis points at six and 24 hours to account for patient withdrawals because they anticipated that uh, there were things that might occur during that period, such as starting enteral fluids, uh, and also concern that there might be some patients who developed hyponatremia in that period. So 122 patients were randomized, um, and at the 24-hour mark, there was a significantly lower incidence of hyponatremia in the isotonic saline group. Without any um identified adverse effects <clears throat> so the conclusion from their study was that the use of of isotonic saline would result in in a lower incidence of the development of hyponatremia without any complications such as the development of high sodium values or hypernatremia.
1: Uh, Dr. Bohm, we traditionally have given fluids that provide um, what is calculated to be a child's maintenance requirements for sodium, uh, typically two to four millimoles per kilo per day. So then why do we have so many children who develop hyponatremia with what we thought should be maintenance fluid replacement?
2: So if you go back to the source for what, we, what every person working in pediatric medicine knows as the formula for calculation of maintenance fluids in children you'll find it was based on a publication done in 1957 by Holliday and Seeger and if you reference any pediatric textbook or or any other pediatric source material it it refers to this paper and this paper was not actually um, a study it was a, a a calculation of what the free water losses would be in children with the urine uh, losses and what would the sodium uh, and other electrolyte losses in the urine would be and therefore to come up with a formula which would be easily memorizable um, and easily learned that would be based on a, a maintenance fluid requirement based on body weight. <clears throat> and that formula has been essentially in pediatric practice now for over 50 years. <clears throat> the problem with that formula is that it, it uh, it was based on what normal children require Uh, and obviously normal children are not hospitalised children. Hospitalised children are by definition um, patients who have illnesses and other things that occur in hospital that um, militate against them having normal fluid and electrolyte requirements because uh, what happens to hospitalised children is that they don't uh, necessarily have normal control of ADH secretion Mm -hmm. So in a normal situation, if uh, if we take in too much fluid, then we inhibit ADH, um, we produce a dilute urine, and we, we balance our osmolarity to control our serum sodium in a very tight range. Um, the reality is that using this formula, <coughs> um, the uh, free water or the insensible losses uh, um, are overestimated because of the over-secretion or non-physiological secretion of ADH. So, with this formula, um, and from this formula was was derived the, um, the practice of using either uh, 0.2 saline or in some institutions, 0.3 saline, which essentially has a large amount of free water and, and a small amount of sodium. Most patients who are in hospital um, get too much free water. <clears throat> now, most of the time, it, it's not a great consequence because at some stage they will inhibit their ADH and, and produce a dilute urine, so their, their serum sodium normalizes. And you know, we, we know that you know if you do lab tests on on, on children who come into hospital or on IV fluids, we frequently see sodium values in the range of maybe between 130 uh, 30 and 135 millimoles per liter. Um, We don't get too too excited about it, but there are occasional patients where that sodium value drops very quickly, and and acute hyponatremia is defined usually as a drop in serum sodium value within a 48-hour period to levels that are usually lower than 125 millimoles per liter. That can cause very significant brain swelling, cerebral edema, and result in unnecessary uh, deaths in, in hospitalized patients. So that's why I think we need to revise our practice, look very carefully at the amount of free water that we administer em- to children, which is usually too much, and, and change our approach rather than saying, it, just because this patient happens to be a child, we should use this formula which we've been using for 50 years. What we need to do, I think, is to base our prescription of IV fluids on, on measurement of the serum electrolytes. I'm not here to advocate that every single hospitalized child receive isotonic saline. Um, there are clearly children who have sodium values that are above 140 millimoles who need free water, <clears throat> but I think we should be using 0.45 isotonic saline or Ringer's lactate, because I think the other solutions just contain too much free water and put patients at risk.
1: Uh, In the study by Dr. Manchana et al., the subgroup that underwent abdominal surgery uh, was found to have lower serum sodium levels at the six-hour point than the non-surgical patients. Does this have implications for our management of surgical patients as compared to medical patients? Uh,
2: Absolutely, because if you look at the deaths from acute hyponatremia in children associated with IV fluid administration, the majority of those have occurred in a post-surgical population. And, you know, the pain um, and other things such as the use of narcotics, the use of anesthetic agents, all of these are known to cause over-secretion of ADH. So the the pediatric surgical population is particularly at risk. And, And if you look at the case reports or case series in the literature, sometimes there are things like routine tonsillectomies, and the child dies of acute hyponatremia because too much hypotonic saline was given. <clears throat> so in, in my practice, uh, I think given the vulnerability of this population, <clears throat> patients who are undergoing um, surgery should only receive, as postoperative fluids, uh, isotonic saline or ringous lactate. <clears throat> and if you look at the anesthetic practice, for the intraoperative administration of fluids across North America, you will find most anesthetic departments will use either ringers, lactate, or normal saline for their intraoperative fluids because they have realised that this is a potential hazard.
1: So this is a practice that needs to be extended into the ICU?
2: Uh, I, I think so uh, because uh, these, and in fact, we've done a study here where we actually measured um, the urinary sodium losses and the uh, fluid and sodium input in postoperative surgical patients. We haven't actually published this data yet, but when we measured the urine sodium concentration in the first 24 hours after surgery, and these were children who were undergoing surgery who had arterial lines placed, so we were able to access uh, blood work on a routine basis, and they also had urinary counters placed. So most of them were uh, excreting a sodium value in their urine in excess of 250 millimoles per liter. So they have very high urinary sodium losses. They have over-secretion of ADH, which causes them to retain water. And then if you're administering more uh, hypotonic fluid on top of that, then you have a, a, a potential risk for an adverse outcome.
1: Um, how do we go about getting people to change their practice with regards to fluid administration?
2: <laughs> that, that is the most difficult problem because, uh, as you uh, know, uh, most practice in pediatrics is not evidence-based. It's, uh, it's based on learning and what our teachers taught us. And there's nothing more ingrained in pediatric practice than the, the formula uh, that we all use for calculating fluids. Um, I think studies like this are very important because they highlight the issue and, and, you know, if you look at the literature, there's over 50 case reports or case series of deaths or neurological injury from hyponatremia in children. But people are not persuaded to change practice based on case reports because they will say, well, I've actually never seen a case and I've been in practice for 30 years, say, for example. Um, But, you know, they... We live in an era where hopefully practice is now more evidence based, so I think it's very important that studies like this are published because they say, yes, it is a problem, <clears throat> yes, there is a potential solution, and by the way, if we use isotonic saline, we're not going to buy ourselves a whole host of problems.
1: In your editorial, Dr. Bone, you came up with a very practical way to essentially prevent uh, clinicians from administering very hypotonic uh, solutions to children. Would you talk a little bit about that?
2: uh, We've been very focused on this problem for a number of years now, and and, uh, as you mentioned in your last question, it's very difficult to get people to change practice. So uh, given the fact that I think any death of a child from Administration of IV fluids in a hospital is unacceptable. Then a radical way of going about this is to say, right, we're going to take the fluid away. Um, we will not take all hypotonic saline away. We'll give you access. You can prescribe 0.45, but you cannot prescribe now in our hospital on the the, the regular wards. You cannot prescribe 0.2 saline. You know, we, we've if you want to, if you feel you need to prescribe this fluid, then you have to you kind know, of a a consult from a a pediatric nephrologist. Um, And outside the intensive care areas, this fluid is no longer available. Uh,
1: That's a very um, practical and interesting way to approach it. Uh, I think it's really quite clever. What further studies do you think need to be done with regards to the fluid management in particularly very young children?
2: So the, the group we haven't actually tackled is the neonatal population. And, uh, again, this is an area where, uh, you know, the use of hypotonic saline is is very widespread. And there is a feeling that uh, they should use this fluid because the neonatal kidney is immature and doesn't handle a uh, sodium load. When you go and look for literature to support this, and, and, and let's take away the – take put aside the the very premature neonate, but the term and near-term neonate, I can't find any literature really to substantiate this. There aren't any good epidemiological studies in this population um, which would identify whether it is a significant problem, but I know from a occasional visit to our NICU, the sodium values there are lower than we would run in the pediatric intensive care unit. So I think that this is an area which um, deserves some study, some future study, and hopefully good epidemiological studies and then um, good you know, prospective randomized trials. Um, in, the, in the medical population, um, there are a couple of randomized uh, trials that, that are published, uh, one from Australia, which again doesn't really focus on maintenance fluid, but it was a a prospective study looking at patients with gastroenteritis who received either half normal saline or isotonic saline. And again, I, I use this because people do say to me, well, you know, if I start using isotonic saline on my my population, I'm going to see, you know, high serum sodium values. So this is an interesting study, I think, because it, it randomized patients to you know, isotonic versus half normal saline. Uh, and, but again, this is a, a flu- more a fluid replacement study than a, a maintenance fluid study. But that study, they saw, short- saw no significant incidence of hyponatremia. But, but I, I think if this is to become a, a generally accepted um, uh, guideline for administration of fluids, we, we do need more studies like the one that we're discussing because the more evidence you can accumulate which says, this is a real problem and patients are dying because of it, and we have a solution <coughs> which is not harmful, um, then it will persuade people to change practice.
1: I, I think uh, your last point that the solution is, is not harmful um, is particularly pertinent. It's very clear that hyponatremia is potentially extremely harmful, and yet clinicians seem to fear hypernatremia, um, perhaps to a greater degree.
2: Yes, it's an interesting sort of paradox, and, and 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 people say, you know, well, you know, you could be doing harm. Well, I, that my response then is, well, how how much more harm can we are we going to tolerate with the use of hypotonic saline, than than we've already seen in the published literature?
1: Yeah. Uh, do you have any final comments you would like to make?
2: Um, only that that uh, I think it's. You know, it's interesting that this is a you know, a very basic problem in in pediatric medicine um, that really hasn't uh, received the attention um, that it deserves. Because I think, you know, this isn't something new. We sudden we we haven't just discovered acute hyponatremia. It's probably been going on in our patients in our hospitals for many years. And but now at last, I'm delighted that that attention is being focused on this and and there are more and more studies coming out now which are are focusing on this problem and are saying look you know we can't keep on practicing the way we've been practicing for the last 50 years because it is potentially hazardous to patients so I'm delighted to see that
1: Well thank you very much Dr Bone. My pleasure. We have been speaking today with Dr Desmond Bone about the editorial he wrote The Problem of Acute Hyponatremia in Hospitalized Children, The Solution is in the Solution, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in November 2008. This concludes our podcast for Monday, October 20th. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. A new email subscription service will let you know when new podcasts have been posted to the SCCM website. Visit www.sccm.org/icriticalcare for more information. Thanks again for listening.
0: The society's annual congress is the largest multi-professional critical care event of the year, drawing more than 5,000 professionals from around the world. Throughout this five-day event, more than 300 educational sessions, workshops, keynote addresses, panel discussions, symposiums, and more will be offered on broad and specialized topics in critical care. The high-level programming of Congress speaks to all members of the critical care team, exploring the issues and clinical topics that affect most of their daily environment. Mark your calendar for SCCM's 38th Critical Care Congress to be held January 31st to February 4th, 2009 at the Gaylord Aubreyland Resort and Convention Center in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Visit www.sccm.org for further information.